satellite the size of a microwave oven. So not too big, but this satellite broke free from its orbit around Earth and is actually hurtling towards the moon. Now, apparently no need for alarm. This is just the latest step in NASA's plan to land astronauts on the lunar surface again. And for more on this, here is space expert from York University, Paul Delaney, joins us once again here in the program. Hey there, Paul. Good afternoon. Good Monday afternoon to you too, Jeff. Okay, tell us more about the uh, Capstone satellite and, uh, yes, this uh, microwave oven-sized satellite uh, heading towards uh, Earth. What's our, sorry, the moon. What's going on here? Right. So as you indicated, Capstone is part of a uh, technology demonstration, actually probably better to call it an orbit demonstration by NASA in preparation for their Lunar Gateway Uh, um, space station. Uh, This is all part of the Artemis program. And this was a satellite, very small, as you said, sort of a micro satellite launched by a group out of New Zealand. Well, actually, the company is out of California, but they launched from New Zealand about a week ago. It's going to the moon and it's going to be in an orbit that NASA is testing out. Without going into the details of the orbital dynamics, the aim of the orbit is to be able to see the Earth at all times, so that this satellite will be in continuous communication, which when you're in orbit around the moon actually is a bit of a challenge because, of course, the moon often gets in the way. This satellite, though, is going to demonstrate this very uh, egg-shaped or elliptical orbit around the moon, so it will be close at what we call perigee, and it will be a long way from the moon at apogee, but the inclination of it is such that the satellite will always be able to see Earth, and that will be good for Lunar Gateway. So it's a preparatory mission. It's a relatively low-cost affair. It's only like about $30 million uh, to demonstrate something that NASA feels is very important for a much more ambitious Lunar Gateway space station. So is this going to make it easier, the knowledge we're going to get from this satellite, make it easier to, to land on the surface of the moon? Is that one of the things that's helping us achieve? That's right. Lunar Gateway will be a uh, transit point. So people will fly from Earth to lunar orbit, dock with Gateway, just like they dock with the International Space Station, hang out there for a couple of days, get themselves acclimated, and then go down to the lunar surface for weeks, potentially months, and then come back up to Gateway on the stepping stone back to Earth. So it literally will be a relay between Earth and activities on the lunar surface. That's the big plan for Lunar Gateway. It's not going to be nearly as big as the International Space Station, but it will be sort of like a two-bedroom house, home to potentially four astronauts continuously, uh, not just uh, NASA astronauts, but international astronauts as well. So Lunar Gateway is a big element. It's not the initial element. Uh, The Artemis III project, which is destined for about 2025, 2026, is where we will land on the moon a little bit like Apollo. We'll go down, spend a few days there, and then come home again. But the plan to stay on the moon's surface, which is what NASA wants to do this time around, to have a continually operating settlement there, that requires Lunar Gateway. And Capstone is there to help understand the dynamics of the orbit that we want to put Lunar Gateway into. Okay, so this is the first steps in achieving that goal. And it just amazes me. I mean, here we are talking some almost 53 years later, when man first landed on the moon, uh, Paul, and just the preparatory work and the knowledge we have now, doesn't it amaze you that back in 1969, that we actually indeed got there? That, uh, you know, I remember talking to a friend years and years ago that went to the Smithsonian, just amazed at, uh, because they had the uh, lander there. He says, it looked like they landed in a box of, or uh, one of those Jiffy Pop popcorn uh, 
things, yep. you know. Yeah, it looked like <laughs> aluminum foil, basically. I mean, it's just mind-blowing that we got there 53 years ago. You had to be careful where you put your feet because the lunar module was not very strong. There was a real fear that you could put your foot through the side of the lunar module because, of course, it never had to fly in atmosphere. It only had to fly in the vacuum of space, the vacuum of the moon. Uh, and they were saving uh, weight. They just didn't want to put any more weight into this vehicle than they absolutely needed. And it performed admirably, but it really was paper thin, wafer thin. You really had to be careful. The whole Apollo era, uh, mission to the moon in hindsight was really quite a staggering endeavor. It, you know, you had computer systems that were, you know, literally dumb as attack. I mean, they had no built knowledge. Uh, everything we did was on a shoestring, even though it cost billions of dollars in 1960s, but it was all brand new technology. We were truly flying by the seat of our pants, but we did it. The, 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 the determination of the engineers and the scientists that put humans on the moon at the end of the 1960s, early 1970s was remarkable. And then we abandoned it. And you do not want to start beyond that because that was that was a terrible political decision. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I have talked about this uh, previously. I mean, I know you're very excited to see us going back to the uh, moon here, that this is just going to open up uh, all kinds of uh, opportunities when it comes to uh, space and exploring the universe. And science and technology, I mean, and not to mention all of the jobs that that is going to create. Every aspect of the space program, whether it be in low Earth orbit, geosynchronous, out to the moon, out to the stars, literally is good for the economy and it's great for yours and I's uh, standards of living. And as a scientist, it opens up terrific opportunities for better understanding the universe as a whole. So obviously, I'm a big fan of space exploration. And if we can do it in a collaborative fashion, all that much the better. All right. Since we are talking about the moon, I also wanted to ask you about this new double crater that has been detected on the moon, Paul. This is uh, something that apparently uh, happened to the moon after a uh, rocket uh, collided with the uh, surface of the moon back in March. That's right. March 4th. We've been monitoring this one for several months. And the big question was who done it? Uh, whose rocket vehicle was it? SpaceX was fingered there at one point, and it finally, it finally worked out, no, that wasn't the case. The current going theory is it was a Chinese rocket booster. Of course, the Chinese have denied it. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal about who it was, other than if we know the characteristics of the rocket that actually impacted the moon, it gives us a better understanding of how the divot on the moon was created. It's a double impact, which is really quite interesting. We were expecting just one sort of hole in the ground about 20 meters in diameter, perhaps five, 10 meters uh, deep. But in fact, it sort of looks like it was a dumbbell that hit the moon with two big weights on each end, creating two craters simultaneously. Um, and it's only about 28, 29 meters across, but it obviously was an unusual impact. And that begs the question, was it really a Chinese booster? Maybe it wasn't because a, a rocket booster, which is spent empty of fuel, has all of its weight down at one end where the engines are. And the rest is really a very thin shell. It's a fuel tank. So most of the energy on impact comes from where the mass is. And in that case, that should have been the engines. In what we're seeing on the moon, it looks like it was double weighted at, one, at, at both ends. And that's a surprise. So mm. there is a bit of an ongoing mystery as to what the vehicle was that slammed into Lunar Far Side. All right. But we do know it was a piece of space junk. And this is the first time that uh, space junk has unintentionally hit the uh, moon's uh, surface. And I mean, this is a big deal because uh, the moon, as uh, you probably know, 
uh, lacks a uh, atmosphere, a protective atmosphere. That's exactly right. Uh, t- the fact that a, a piece of space junk has impacted the moon underscores both the fact that if we've got settlements on the moon going forward, you don't want unexpected company like a rocket booster raining down on your place. Uh, and of course, you know, it's what is happening here on Earth if we're not going to be more attentive to throwing stuff away. Space junk is becoming an increasingly big problem in low Earth orbit, and we're getting busier there with space tourism and so on. We don't want unexpected mishaps. So understanding where our space junk is and hopefully not creating more space junk, that's really the the go-forward plan. All right, Mr. Delaney, appreciate it as always. We will talk again soon. Enjoy your week. You too, Jeff. Take care. Space expert from York University, Paul Delaney with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.